Welcome to the first edition of Fizz in Indie. I'm Gil Gross with Matt Bonaparte. We will be delivering daily fizz casts. No, I'm not in indie, but but Matt, you are. And let's just set the scene here before we get started as Syracuse will play San Diego State late on Friday night. And hopefully we'll have a lot more to talk about and some more basketball games to talk about after that. But uh, that is yet to be seen. Matt, um, you, you got in what, an hour ago? I got in an hour ago. 10-hour drive, just got in. How was that? That's a long drive. It I'll is be doing a long it tomorrow. Drive. Yeah, it was a long drive. Not the most scenic route in the world, but I mean, shout out to Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Indiana for housing me for, you know, hours at a time. But uh, I mean, a 10-hour drive, it's all worth it to come to cover the tournament. Absolutely. It, you did stop by Hinkle, right? Uh, yes, I did stop by Hinkle. Uh, it's a marvelous building. I really wasn't expecting it. I'd only seen it in pictures, of course. It's gigantic. Like, it's large. I didn't expect that at all. Really? So it seats 9K. Yeah, no, it's, it's like small in, uh, in theory, capacity. but like, it's a large building. Right. Well, the, the architecture, so it was built in 1928. And if, if we didn't explicitly say this, but I think you can gather that is where Syracuse will be playing San Diego State on Friday night. It is home of the Butler Bulldogs, and uh, it's actually registered in like the national U.S. historic, and I'm, I'm butchering the name, of course, but in like the official list of historical buildings in the United States, Hinkle is on there. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, deservingly so. It's a gorgeous building. I mean, it's, it, I didn't really know what I was looking for because it's like a suburban town and then there's just a sign that says Butler University and you look up and there's this just gigantic, gorgeous building. And you're like, oh, there it is. That's nice. Yeah, so there will be 25% capacity in there. So a little bit over 2,000 people. I'm pretty curious to, to see what the, what the atmosphere is going to be like in there. Uh, I would imagine... If there's going to be some kind of partisan slant, it will be heavily Syracuse, right? I mean, that's what I mean. That's what every saying. yeah, Orange fans travel. Everybody knows that. I mean, ten hours is nothing for the average Syracuse fan. Uh, watching those games back in the day, where wherever they were, there was the sea of orange shirts in the seats. So I mean, don't don't be surprised when uh, we get there on Friday and there's plenty of Orange fans. Why would you leave San Diego, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's the exactly. problem with, like, if San Diego State, don't get me wrong, they have a great home court advantage. It's very loud in their building and, and really difficult to win in their building. But, I mean, when it comes to road games, you know, they're at a big disadvantage here. I mean, you're not trying to leave San Diego for any reason. Absolutely. And when I uh, when I got a little bit closer to, to Indiana, I was like, wow, it's, it's getting hot. And I looked down, it was 66 degrees. I was like, I just came from 18 degrees Syracuse wearing my big bulky bomber jacket. And now I have to take it off. It's hot. I'm sweating. Yeah. Well, it was, it was sunny here, but that's, that's good to know. And I can't wait to uh, get, get into the warmer weather, even if it's only margin, marginally warmer in terms of the, the city itself. Obviously, this is unique because it's all in one place, and that's because of, of COVID and the, the limitations that that has presented. So far, tests have been pretty good in terms of players not testing positive. Only, I think, eight positive tests among all the players um, who did test, which is, which is great. But I, I'm curious to know like what the, what the buzz is going to be like in the city and, and how much 
I'd say extracurriculars and, and fanfare is going to be a part of this. Well, I think they're really, really excited here in Indianapolis. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm driving in about 40 minutes away from uh, the stadium. I went right to the stadium and, you know, I'm just driving along. It's like in the 10th hour, so I'm getting a little bit tired. I need something to energize me. And what do I see on the side of the road but a small white sign, just a white sign with the March Madness logo on it in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. I was I was immediately amped. I was like, oh, my Lord, look at that. That's incredible. Just, you know, it's just miles and miles of nothing and then just one March Madness sign here and there. And, I mean, that got me excited. I assume it's going to get every media member and fan excited because, I mean, we didn't have this last year. So, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a whole feeling that we kind of forgot about. Uh, and, and I feel like the, the, you know, I was driving around just seeing what the, the city is like and people are out there supporting their team, the local teams. So, I mean, Butler is heavily supported here. So, you know, people are amped, but, you know, I, I mean, we're, we're going to wait and see, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, you can't at this point take the fact that this tournament is happening for granted. Remember at the beginning of the season, Rick Pitino was calling for May Madness because yes, I like, do remember that. Right. He was like, March Madness will never happen. You know, we need May Madness. Well, it, March Madness is now happening. And you do get kind of this uh, extra appreciation, but that's been coupled with this this notion. And this has been one of the interesting stories of just the bubble before we've had any basketball where people are talking about, well, like, should players be getting more for, for what they're going through here? And this the, the hashtag not NCAA property is going around. And then John Rothstein's tweet kind of blew up because he said, how can you be complaining? Be thankful for what you have. Why are people complaining? It's This is interesting. It's a nuanced situation. What do you make of all of the, the rhetoric that's kind of surrounded the bubble and kind of the uncomfortable position that players are in right now? Well, it's definitely an interesting situation. I mean, if you're players, of course, I mean, we've had this debate for so many years now that players are making teams money, making schools money. They should probably be compensated, whether you agree with that or not. Uh, it's an interesting situation, especially this year, where we are, I mean, just to speak to John uh, Rothstein's tweet a little bit, we should, you know, be happy that we have something like this because it easily could have not happened. I mean, I'm just happy that there is a tournament, that we got conference tournaments, that we got through the regular season. I, I don't think a lot of people thought that we would get to this point, so I understand where he's coming from and that we should be happy we have a tournament, but at the same time, uh, there's it's double-edged sword because players are going to want you know some compensation at some point, and then you can bring the G League conversation in, but we could have that for another right. day. Well, if the food is cold, then people are going to complain. Like I don't, I don't understand. You know, complaining has never hurt anyone. Nobody died. Nobody was hurt. Nobody was injured because somebody complained. You know, and to me, like if you're a human being, I don't care what you're doing. If you are having to quarantine and the food delivery comes and the food is cold, I might go on social media and say my food was cold and that <laughs> stinks. So I don't know why people are are getting upset that the players are complaining, uh, you know, because I think that we should normalize complaining. I, I just maybe I'm just I'm just pro complaining. I think I think fun. you're a pro complainer and that's OK. I mean, I think <laughs> I am as well. I think, you know, complaining makes the world go around. Good. Uh, so so we agree on that. Um, for Syracuse in particular, it's uh, it's a place that we didn't think we'd get to, right? I mean, how are you feeling with two weeks left in the season? I, I mean, when Syracuse lost to Georgia Tech, 
which made it two straight losses, lost to Duke, lost to Georgia Tech, and no more quad ones on the schedule. Pretty much, I mean, I'm pretty sure if you checked orangefizz.net, not to not to bury ourselves, I think a- anywhere you checked would have said, okay, Syracuse's tournament hopes have collapsed. And I, I so yeah, let's take a moment to look at how we got here. This was a roller coaster of a season, just like many recent SU years have been. You know, it started with a Barama Sidibe injury. Everybody was like, okay, there it goes. Especially after that Rutgers loss when fans were like, all right, if Sidibe played today, they would have won. Um, and I think that was a big thing for fans for, in my opinion, far too long. Um, but then, and then people forgot about it a little bit. People forgot about it until the Pitt loss, when they lost by three to Pitt and then by 20 to Pitt, uh, which were both bad losses. But, you know, then they string a couple wins together. The, the, I mean, the, the the identity of this team was streakiness. I mean, they'd shoot the lights out against Boston College and not be able to hit a shot the next week. So down the stretch, it was it was up and down. And then you hit those final two games of the year where it seems like everything was just right. UNC and Clemson, they get those two big wins that really solidified uh, them onto the bubble because before those two wins if they lost those two games there was no chance of course and I don't think that many people thought they had a, any business winning those two games they beat UNC 72 to 70 so everyone's like okay what happened Jesse Edwards played 24 minutes six points eight rebounds four steals I mean he's a whole different player after we saw him last year be like a deer in headlights against Clemson and, and blow that game so you're thinking okay we have a new rotation there's a whole new team out on the floor can Syracuse make it and Clemson comes. They win that game pretty convincingly, a 64-54 game. So then the ACC tournament comes around, and the, the conversation there was, okay, you need to crush NC State. You don't crush NC State and you lose to Virginia big, no chance. you got to crush mm-hmm. NC State and you got to lose close to Virginia. What do they do? They annihilate NC State and then barely lose to Virginia on a buzzer beater. So going into the selection show, it was like as, it, uh, as it's been for – what, half a decade now where Syracuse fans were on the edge of their seats. Are they going to make it? Are they not? When Utah State gets in, Wichita State gets in, people start getting a little bit nervous, I, I me included, and then they get in without a bye, which is not what I expected. So I think Syracuse fans should be happy that they're here, but at the same time, Syracuse isn't here to lose. Right. Well, a couple things happened. I mean, the last week of the regular season, Syracuse added two wins against teams in the tournament field now. Yeah, And if you look at the total number of wins that Syracuse has over the tournament field, it's four. The other being Virginia Tech and Georgetown. Nearly got one with Buffalo, but but they lost in the, in the conference championship game. So that number doubled. In terms of what happened on the floor, Buddy Beheim is just scorching. And, and that has been probably the number one factor with, as you mentioned, just the emergence of secondary options like Jesse Edwards um, and Kadari Richmond, ever since the NC State win on the road, Richmond has been kind of playing more minutes than Gerard for the most part. So the, those are the things that, that I think have changed. And it was a, a great, it was, it was really a great comeback when it comes to making the tournament by Syracuse. So now you come into this first round game and, and we, we always do our uh, fizz feedback polls and all that. I want to ask you, what do you think the pulse of Fizz Nation is right now? What are the expectations coming into this first round game? Well, I had the privilege of covering both ACC tournament games for Orange Fizz. And I can tell you, everybody's amped. Everybody's excited. We're happy we're here. Um, I don't think the Orange Nation expected to be here at this point. So to be here is huge. 
But again, they're not here to lose. Syracuse is a competitive team. The fans want wins, and I mean that's what Jim Beheim uh, offers a lot of the time. I mean, the only coach to do it in what is it four decades now to to get to the tournament? Uh, I I think it's eighties, nineties, two thousands. No, seventies starts in the seventies. Oh, so fifth, five decades. I think five. Only five. To only coach ever to get to five decades. That's Correct. crazy. Um, so I mean. Everyone's excited. I'm excited. You're excited. I can tell. Even if you don't say it, I know it. You're excited. I can tell, Gil. <laughs> um, so, I mean, and, and there's know. good reason for it. I mean, I can tell in your face. At this point, I've known you for so long, I can tell. Um, but there's a reason to be excited. Like you mentioned, Buddy Beheim just lighting the world on fire. Uh, made all uh, ACC tournament team. Uh, the guy's crazy, but if he could shoot that way, obviously Syracuse has a chance. But let's not get too far into a preview. Yeah, we're going to break down this matchup and, and San Diego State in depth on on tomorrow's FizzCast. And we'll be coming at you daily, don't you worry. Uh, obviously, Friday will be will be the recap after the game itself. So we are, uh, we're looking forward to all that. What do you think, though, just in, in vague terms when you see, okay, San Diego State is the first-round opponent, and then the entire region. I mean, what do you think of the entire region that Syracuse is in? I think that this region is by far the most competitive. I mean, you've got Illinois, the Big Ten champ. You've got Cade Cunningham, arguably the best player in the nation at the number four seed. You've got the Pac, or yeah, the Pac-12 chance in Oregon State at twelve, so they're competitive. Um, you've got Syracuse and San Diego State, two teams who Sy- San Diego State obviously had a better regular season, but Syracuse, a fighting team who who reached in, and then Bob Huggins, number three Mountain or West Virginia squad, they do have a week two in Houston. That's probably the weakest two out there, but this is a region where whoever emerges will be battle tested and whoever gets to that final four is going to be a lot more experienced maybe a little bit more tired but a lot I think they're going to want it more at that point because if you get through this region you're going to have played everybody you need to play the only other team out there that I'd say is more competitive are the Gonzaga Bulldogs but I mean it's going to be a fight I mean so if you're Syracuse right now you're looking at this if you beat San Diego State you're probably playing Bob Huggins team uh, in the Mountaineers, and that's going to be a tough match. I, I don't know, man. I would. You think? Do you think Moorhead State, the, the Fighting Kenneth Farids, are going to put up a fight? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. Well, I, I'm just telling you, I think I think West Virginia is a little vulnerable. I don't I don't know that much about Moorhead State and and how good or or bad they might be. Uh, I know it's the first time in ten years they've made the tournament, uh, but I know that historically as a program, when they get in the tournament, they win some games. But it, West Virginia, I think that's a vulnerable three seed. Sure. I, I mean, that that's a team who has proved themselves to be able to beat good teams and then also lost to teams they shouldn't have. So I could see that going either way as well. But if you do beat SDSU and you beat the winner of WVU and Moorhead State, then you're probably looking at Houston, the number two seed. And like I said, they're the weakest two out there. I don't want to get people too excited, but if you want to be in any position, I think it's this one as of right now. You're going to be this my, 11. Here's my my take on the draw that Syracuse was dealt here. San Diego State is tough. Like, I do not think you want to play San Diego State as far as six seeds go. After that, opportunity. I, I don't think Houston is a great two, as you've mentioned. You know, they, they have to get through Clemson. I think it could be Rutgers as well uh, if Syracuse got to the Sweet 16. And then Moorhead State and West Virginia, I think that either one of those teams – I probably think both of them are, are worse than San Diego State. I think that's kind of the, the situation that Syracuse is in. So get through this first round 
game, which is going to be hard. And then the Orange might be off to the races. And something interesting that Jim Beheim said this week is that they normally do better in the second game because teams don't have a full week to prepare for the two threes. True. And I think that's going to play a huge factor. And I'll get more into that tomorrow yeah. on our FizzCast previewing the game. But the zone, of course, is a huge factor in any game for teams who don't often play it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I think if they do end up winning that first game, the gates may be open. They may be off and running because, I mean, we've seen it so many times now. A low-seeded Syracuse going and doing something that not, not many expect them to do. They beat Michigan State a couple years ago before that. 2016 got all the way to the Final Four, coming back on Virginia. So never count them out in March. That's what I say every year. It doesn't matter how bad they are. They're going to perform with their backs up against the wall. And they did this year at the end of the regular season. They did in the ACC tournament. And you should expect them to do the same on Friday. I have one parting take. Um, be- before we wrap up here, which is that I asked you earlier, what's the pulse of Fizz Nation on Syracuse being in this game when it looked like they wouldn't be in the tournament? I actually don't. I think the situation the Orange are in as a program right now is this. There has not been a dominant regular season in a very, very long time since 2014. If you are going to make up for that, you're going to do it in March. And so far, Syracuse has. And that's what, if, if you if you press Jim Beheim, if you tried to attack him and say, you know, Syracuse hasn't been comfortably in the tournament since 2014. What's going on here? He would say, um, I'm sorry, we were the third or the fourth best team in the country in 2016. That would be his response. Um, and I think that's a fair response. But you're coming off a first round loss in the 2019 tournament, I think... I think it's important that Syracuse stays successful in the tournament. I agree. Um, And it's part of the brand. This is a March team. When you think of Syracuse, you think of upsets in the tournament. That's exactly what I think of. That's what I bet you most non-Syracuse fans think of. You say Syracuse Orange basketball, you're thinking of that loss to Virginia. Or you think of that win over Virginia and that win over Michigan State recently. I think that's what most teams think of. Completely agree with you. It's out of that kind of that Tom Izzo mold of uh, getting the benefit of the doubt in March. All right, well, find out if we are giving them the benefit of the doubt tomorrow, breaking down Syracuse versus San Diego State deep dive. This has been Fizz and Indy from Gil Gross and Matt Bonaparte. We'll talk to you tomorrow.